Hello, and welcome back to the Automotive Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about a very well-known car, um, but also an absolute mess of a car. And this is the BMW M1. And if you're into cars, you most likely know or have heard of the BMW M1. It's a great-looking car. It is very rare. It's very valuable these days. But its history is pretty convoluted, and that's because its history, as I said, is just a mess. It had an extremely problematic development process due to outside effects that I will get into, It would ultimately not be able to accomplish any of the goals it was designed to meet, and it would create lots of problems for BMW and Lamborghini. So let's break it all down and start from the very beginning. The M1 was created by a man named Jochen Nierpach, and Nierpach is the man behind the entire BMW M racing team and racing division. That didn't exist before he came uh, to BMW. Now, Jochen was looking for a car to compete in Group 5 racing and was inspired by an older BMW that was a concept to develop in 1972. And this concept featured a mid-engine configuration. So the main goal of the M1 was to be able to compete with the BMW rival of Porsche in Group 5 racing. And the hope was that if they based it off of this old concept and gave it a mid-engine configuration, that would give the car the upper hand. Now, in order to compete in Group 5 racing, like a lot of racing series, the car had to be homologated. There needed to be 400 M1s built in order for the M1 to compete. And BMW just didn't really have the ability to create 400 of these cars in the amount of time that they had to homologate the car. It was a new layout. BMW had never done a mid-engine before, so that was entirely new to them and they didn't really have a big manufacturing facility at the time. And so they reached out for help in creating these cars, and they looked to Lamborghini to help them make this car. And Lamborghini was happy to help, obviously. They were happy to be paid to help, as they were having some financial issues at the time. So Lamborghini was brought in to help further develop the car, increase the ability of the car to be produced in the hope to meet the homologation requirements in time. Um, But Lamborghini didn't just assist with the car, they basically created it. The only thing in the car that wasn't Italian was the engine. I mean, this means Lamborghini developed the suspension, the body, the chassis, everything else except for the power unit, which was a BMW engine. And this can be very easily seen in the looks of this car. The M1 is a wedge. It's very sharply angled. It looks great, but it looks Lamborghini. It looks entirely Lamborghini. And perhaps BMW was a little bit self-conscious of this fact, as they chose to stick two BMW badges on the back of the car, 
one on each side, seemingly trying to kind of claim their car as their own and to make sure that anybody you happen to walk by and see this car would be like, oh, <laughs> that's a BMW, not a Lamborghini. Um, but it wasn't a bad partnership. Lamborghini certainly helped, and it is an amazing-looking car. However, Lamborghini ended up causing a lot of problems for the M1. So as I said, they were facing some financial issues and would soon enter bankruptcy. And obviously, this kind of stopped the development of the M1. If Lamborghini suddenly has to deal with being in bankruptcy and selling off its assets and dealing with that whole financial issue, they're not really working on the car. In a kind of funny twist of fate, in some ways, BMW actually helped to push Lamborghini into bankruptcy. So at the same time that Lamborghini was working on the BMW M1, they were also working on their own project, which was a prototype military vehicle that they called the Cheetah. Uh, this would eventually become the LM002, and if you want to learn more about that, I have an episode on that car. So Lamborghini is developing this Cheetah, and it's not going super well. Uh, it's kind of a mess as well. So Lamborghini chooses to pull resources from the BMW M1 project and put those resources towards the Cheetah project. And somewhat understandably, uh, this angered BMW and would eventually lead to BMW terminating its contract with Lamborghini. And this was a hard financial blow to Lamborghini. They needed that money coming in from the M1 project, and suddenly they didn't have it. And to make matters even worse, the Cheetah would end up being a complete failure and would not be able to get Lamborghini a military contract, which was the hope. So Lamborghini is now in financial disarray. They're completely dealing with their own issues and are no longer involved in the development of the BMW M1. Another funny little tidbit is that when Lamborghini went bankrupt, uh, when companies go bankrupt, they sell off assets and sell off whatever they can to, to try to deal with suddenly not having money. Um, and BMW did not want uh, prototype M1s or models or tooling systems uh, to be sold off due to Lamborghini's bankruptcy. So they actually broke into the Lamborghini factory and took back their M1 prototypes and all the other uh, tools and molds and everything associated with the project. Uh, they took back because they really didn't want to lose that. Uh, due to Lamborghini's financial issues. So what does this mean for the M1? Suddenly, Lamborghini's not there to help BMW make it, and BMW still does not really have the ability to manufacture large numbers of these cars. BMW doesn't give up, though. They continue working on the M1, they find new contractors to help create the car, but this really puts the project behind schedule, and the M1 will not have 400 cars produced by the time homologation is needed. It's, they simply did not have the cars to qualify for Group 5 racing. And so this means that the M1 couldn't compete. 
essentially BMW created a race car with no race. They didn't know what to do with it. To make matters worse, as race cars tend to be, the M1 was extremely expensive. It was more expensive than Porsches and, well, Lamborghinis at the time. It was an expensive project. And suddenly BMW had nothing to do with it. It's just sitting around with no use, no sales, there's no way to promote it because the entire idea is that it races to be promoted. And so BMW is like, wow, what do we do with it? Um, again, they, they didn't give up. They, they tried to find a solution. And their solution was creating their own race series for the M1. Which, okay, I guess hats off. I mean, if you really have nothing to do with a race car, I guess make your own race series? BMW called this series Pro Car. Not a great name. But besides the point, Pro Car was a supporting race series to Formula One. The best drivers from Formula One, World Sports Car Championship, and the European Touring Car Championship would be invited to participate in Pro Car, and they would all race identical competition spec M1s. Privateers could also take part in the race, but absolutely everyone drove M1s. And BMW put a lot of effort into this race series, and a lot of money. They redeveloped a BMW facility to be the grounds of this new race series. Uh, they would give the facility workshops, dyno rooms, offices, and a workforce of 160 people, all to support the Pro Car Series. In 1979, the very first Pro Car Series would take place, and it had mixed reviews. Their racing could be good and could be fun to watch, but the cars had a fair amount of engine problems during this first season. Nicky Lauda would actually win this 1979 championship, and Nelson Paquit would win in 1980. Uh, those would be the only two seasons of Pro Car. It would end in 1981. And after the end of Pro Car... Jochen Nerpash would leave BMW, somewhat at the suggestion of BMW, and the race division of BMW, the M division, its budget would be cut by 75%, directly due to the failure of the M1. And this all makes sense. BMW put a lot of money into this car, into the development, into the race series, and it all fell apart, and it was a big waste of money. So I guess it, you know, it makes sense that BMW chose to try to get some of the money back from this failure by cutting the budget of the racing division. It is also somewhat unfortunate that Pro Car didn't succeed. I don't, I don't know how to feel about a race series like that. In some ways, it's very cool because everyone is in the exact same car, and so it really comes down to driver skill. But on the flip side, it's not as interesting from the engineering standpoint because cars can't be modified and changed up to give a competitive edge. So it's an interesting race series. I don't think it was necessarily a bad move on BMW's part, but it was an interesting move. It was a, I mean, it, it was a last-ditch effort to try to save 
uh, the M1 and save the financial failure that the M1 was. Eventually, the M1 would race in Group 4 and Group 5, but it wouldn't be competitive. By that time, the M1 was an old platform, and it simply did not have the pace of the other cars. And that really shows how quickly racing from an engineering standpoint can change. I mean, the M1 was looking like a very strong race car at the beginning, and it missed homologation for its first season, and by the time BMW got around to creating enough and registering it and qualifying it, it was too late. The competition had already developed past where the M1 was, and it simply couldn't do anything about it. I guess racing is a very unforgiving and quick-moving sport. I was very surprised to see that the M1 became uncompetitive that quickly, but that's really the way racing works. But again, BMW kept with it. They eventually got it into Group 4 and Group 5 racing. Um, they eventually raced it in the 1979 24 Hours of Le Mans, where it would actually finish 6th overall, and this is a pretty good result. But what really hurt about this race was, remember, the M1 was specifically designed to beat Porsche, and specifically beat the Porsche 935. And in this 24 hours of Le Mans, the M1 was put up against a Porsche 935. And the M1 got destroyed. It couldn't keep up with the 935 at all. In fact, the 935 went around the 24 hours of Le Mans circuit 9 seconds faster per lap than the M1. That's incredible. The Porsche 935 was a very good race car, or the M1 was an old race car that couldn't compete. I don't know which, but that is an absolute domination of the M1, and it, again, it shows the M1 simply did not complete its goals uh, of beating Porsche. It, it just didn't have the ability. The most successful races for the M1 would be the IMSA GTO Class Championship in 1981, where the M1 would take first and second. This would be the only win of the M1. So I've been talking a lot about the history and the development of this car, and I chose to focus on that in the first part because it's a bit convoluted and confusing, um, and I chose to not talk about the specs of the car. But now, let's get into at least what I think is the fun part. Let's talk about what this car was and how it was powered and how it was designed and the engineering behind it. So the M1, as I said, was a mid-engine car, and its engine was a 3.5-liter inline-six called the M88. This engine was entirely BMW-developed and would go on to power many successful cars, so it was actually a very strong engine. Uh, a couple of cool things about this engine is it actually had mechanical fuel injection, which 
I guess I didn't know it was a thing, but it's the same idea as electronic fuel injection, just the entire system is mechanically driven. Um, it had six separate throttle bodies, a dry sump system. The engine would have a red line of 7,000 in production models and a red line of 9,000 RPM in race models. It was a twin cam, so four valves per cylinder. In production models, it produced 273 horsepower. In race models, it was pushed up to 470. This gave the car a top speed of 162 miles per hour, and it was all given to the wheels through a five-speed manual transmission. The car also had a good suspension and handled very well. It featured adjustable dampers, used a lightweight space tube frame, and a fiberglass body. This car is also extremely rare. Only 453 were ever made, 399 of those were road models, and only 52 of them were for motorsports. So what did this all come to? What was the M1 like to drive? It was very nice to drive. All of the reviews that I looked at during this research said that the M1 had good power. It wasn't wild. It wasn't just insane power and you're always on the brink of losing control. It was very civilized. It was well-mannered and it was easy to drive. But it wasn't slow and it had impressive cornering speeds. It was stable in straights when it got near its top speed. It had power throughout the rev range. It was essentially a very practical, well-designed, easy-to-drive sports car. And really, everything about the car itself was very successful. It drove well, it handled well, it had good power. It was the first car of the M division from BMW, which would go on to make all kinds of amazing cars and amazing race cars. And the M1 was the start of that. The BMW M1 provided the foundation for future BMWs. The inline six would go on to power very successful BMWs in the future, like I said. The car itself was good. It was nice to drive. There was nothing wrong with the car itself. And so this makes the story of the M1 a bit of a sad story. The car is good, the car is strong, and the only reason it failed was due to outside circumstances. The financial failures of Lamborghini, the failures of BMW to not be able to manufacture this car in time, If history had just changed a little bit, this car, the M1, could have really become a true dominating force in racing. It provided the foundation for the M division, but if things had worked out just a little bit differently, the M1 could have been something truly special. It is truly special these days, partly because it's so rare, partly because it's actually a solid car. M1s are so valuable. Uh, They sell at auctions for about $577,000, and when one comes to market, it has a value of over $700,000. They're rare, they look good, and they drive well. Everything about the M1 is great, except for the 
unfortunate circumstances surrounding its creation. That's going to be it for the BMW M1. I hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to support the podcast, the number one way to do that is to leave reviews and to follow the podcast. I appreciate both of those so much. You can also follow me on social media. My Instagram is automotive.podcast. My Twitter is at automotivepod. And my Facebook is at Automotive Podcast. I post car facts and let you know about upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to share the podcast with any friends that you think would enjoy it. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed, and I will see you next week.